What you are listening to is just one part of a series created for the review of AP European history. If you're a student reviewing for your class or the AP exam, I suggest that you take notes. Perhaps you're a history buff and enjoy the subject matter. Either way, welcome and enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to AP Euro Boxing Night. We have scheduled for you five rounds of hard-hitting action. I'm Mr. Belanti, and I'm here with my good friend, Teddy Bruno. Teddy, what do you think about today's matchup? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, John. We got the Popes of Rome and Avignon against the Kings of France and England. It's the unstoppable force against the immovable object. Something's got to give, John. You're right, Teddy. Let's take a look at some of the questions that we're going to be answering during tonight's matchup. Number one, how did secular rulers challenge papal authority in the 14th and 15th centuries? Number two, why did Pope Boniface VIII quarrel with King Philip the Fair? Why was Boniface so impotent in this conflict? How had political conditions changed since the reign of Pope Innocent III in the late 12th century? And what did it mean for the papacy? Number three, how did the church change from 1200 to 1450? What was its response to growing the growing power of monarchs? How great an influence did the church have on secular events? Number four, what was the Avignon papacy and why did it occur? How did it affect the papacy? What relationship did it have to the great schism? How did the church become divided and how was it reunited? Why was the conciliar movement a setback for the papacy? Number five, why were the kings of the late 13th and early 14th centuries able to control the church more than the church could control the kings? How did kings attack the church during this period? Let's take a special look at the church in the 13th century and talk about the early problems that they bring into this match. Under the control of Pope Innocent III, papal power reached its height. The church increased its secular, and political power, while also weakening its spiritual power. No longer did it seem that the church was the guiding light of Christians, leading them towards the right path. Under Urban IV, the papacy established its own court, which centralized all legal proceedings. The church also established a new system of taxation. The pope also determined all religious appointments to major and minor church positions. This was known as reservation of the benefices. Looking at the church from this perspective, the church, under the all-seeing eye of the Pope, had developed into an efficient, centralized bureaucratic state, guided not by religious goals, but by secular goals, 
money and power, not the idea of what would Jesus do, became the focus. Not everyone within the church agreed with the increased centralized and secular power of the Pope. Lower clergy members often reported about lazy bishops that were appointed by the Pope. These lower clergy members felt as if they were being undermined by the secular power of the Pope. In the 12th century, Cathars, coming from the Greek word kathari, meaning pure ones, and Waldensians, perhaps started by Pier Waldo, who preached apostolic poverty as a way of to perfection, were deemed heretics for criticizing the secular direction of the church. Even St. Francis of Assisi protested the church's secular direction. Historically, the Pope often acted as a voice against the policies of imperial rulers. It was state power against religious power, the power of the Pope. However, the increase in the Pope's political power meant that his position against imperial rulers or the kings now needed to change. Instead of criticizing rulers for their political ways, the Pope now promoted it for his own advantage. This meant that the once friends of the Pope, the religious-minded individuals and their groups, now became his greatest critics. I gotta say, John, the Pope's increase in both secular and political power in the 13th century might be too much for them to have to deal with in this match. However, their increase in power might be enough to defeat the new up-and-comers, the kings of France and England. We'll have to see about that, Terry. Here we are, scheduled, round one, the Popes of Rome versus the kings of England and France. The Pope continued to flex his secular and political muscle through his religious authority at this time when the power of nation states and their kings were on the rise. Before the Hundred Years' War, France and England were slowly preparing to attack one another, and to do so, they needed money. So they began to increase taxes, per usual. You need money to fight a war. This included heavily taxing the French and English clergy. The Pope at the time, Pope Benefice VIII, saw this as a violation of clerical rights and issued a papal bull in 1296 called Clerices Laicos, which stated that all taxation on the clergy is forbidden unless approved by the Pope. That's a bold move, John. You're right, Terry. In England, Edward I retaliated by denying clerical protection under the king. And in France, Philip the Fair struck back by stopping all clerical money from France to Italy. This, in turn, would hit the secular pope hard. To save his income revenue, Boniface quickly came to terms with Philip. Boniface continued to poke his papal fingers into the eyes of the English and French kings. He continually angered England by championing Scottish resistance against England. In France, the standoff continued. After France arrested the pope's personal representative and found him guilty of insurrection, Philip demanded that Boniface recognize the correct process of the French royal court. If Boniface would recognize that France was correct in judging the papal legate, Boniface would risk giving up his power over the position of the Bishop of France. Boniface, however, responded by revoking all previous agreements with Philip concerning clerical taxation and then issued a papal bull, Asculta Fili, which in Latin means, listen, my son, to Philip. This bull reminded Philip that, quote, God has set popes over the kings and kingdoms, end quote. That's a bunch of bull, John. You're right, Larry. Papal bull. The who's your daddy trick will never work on Philip. Philip went into full anti-papal attack mode. He denounced the Pope's role in any and all French secular matters. Boniface countered with yet another papal bull, Unam Sanctum, 
This bull in 1302 stated that all royal authority, that of the king, is subject or beneath the spiritual power of the pope. Oh no, not more papal bull. In 1303, having had enough of the pope's meddling ways, the French military attacked and captured Boniface. They literally slapped him so hard that the slap has its own name. It's called Iscafo di Anagi. They didn't stop there. They beat up the Pope and they almost killed him. Luckily, Benefice was let go, but eventually died in Rome months later. Two Popes later, the former Archbishop of Bordeaux, Clement V, was elected Pope. It's important to note, however, that Clement was French-born and that he could have or did have plenty of direct connections with Philip the Fair. Clement V went on to excommunicate the military leaders responsible for Benefice's beating and then revoked that excommunication. Clement also condemned the Knights Templar only to have Philip take a hold of the Knights Templar's treasure. Clement also reduced the interpretation of Unam Sanctum, which helped to strengthen the French royal authority. So, Bob, where do you see this fight after round one? Well, I gotta say that the popes put up a decent fight with all their bulls. However, the final slap in the face came by the way of the kings. I got the kings one, the popes zero. And here we start. Round two, the Avignon Papacy. The popes versus wealth. In 1309, Pope Clement V moved the papal court from Rome to the French city of Avignon. Two things are apparent here. First, Philip increased pressure on the Pope to move to France. And second, there is a clear shift of power. No longer are the Pope supreme. The secular state now placed the church under the demands of the king. Religious policies became subordinate to secular political policies. It was during this time that popes became innovative in finding ways to increase church revenues. Clement VI began the practice of selling indulgences, or payment to the church for the forgiveness of your sins. The idea of purgatory became profitable for the church as well. You could pay the church for the forgiveness of your sins, your deceased relative's sins, and lessen their time in purgatory. Acts such as the payment of indulgences and the concept of purgatory gave the Avignon papacy a horrible reputation of being greedy and materialistic versus being religious-minded. The popes that followed Clement VI continued to challenge secular and religious authority, but others seemed to continue their subjugation to the French crown. Many of the Avignon poems simply reduced the papacy to a mostly campaigner position for the French royal authority. Pope John XXII did challenge, however, the election of the Holy Roman Emperor Louis IV in 1314, and as a result, Louis elected the anti-pope, Nicholas V, Pope John also adjusted the papal curia, which became infamous for its material wealth and secular focus. And there you have it, the end of round two. So tell me, Ross, what do you think about the fight so far? Well, I got the wealth scored with one point, and I got the Pope scored with one. It seems like the Popes were simply puppets, but maybe their wealth brought them up to another level. Two rounds are done. Here we are with the third round. John Wycliffe and John Huss versus the Popes and the State. 
Two groups began preaching against the fallen ways of the increasingly secular church, as well as royal authority. The first were the Lullards of England, led by the writings of John Wycliffe, and the second were the Hussites of Bohemia, who followed the writings of John Hus. According to Wycliffe, personal merit and morality were more important than rank and office, regardless of political power or religious power. Essentially, the good people deserved money and power, not the corrupted individuals. Wycliffe also challenged the idea of papal infallibility, the selling of indulgences, and questioned transubstantiation of the Eucharist. And he also preached about the total authority of the scripture. Wow, this is 130 years before Martin Luther. Right, Bobby? As for John Hus, nationalism intersected with religion in Bohemia. Reformers wanted the vernacular translation of the Bible. They wanted to get rid of superstitious ceremonies. And they advocated for communion with cup and bread. They also believed in consubstantiation, or the Eucharist simply staying as a symbol. They questioned the truthfulness of the sacraments when performed by sinful priests. Wycliffe and his followers were attacked by both religious and secular authorities. Being a lullard in 1401 became an official act of heresy in England. John Huss was eventually arrested. He was found guilty of heresy and eventually executed. This led to a violent nationalist revolt in Bohemia. After three rounds, Timmy, what do we have the scorecard at? Well, I got the Popes and States with two, and the Reformers with one. It looked like the two Johns were putting up a good fight, especially against the corrupt religious and political powers. But in the end, the Popes and States put down the revolts. Here we have the start of round four, the Great Schism. The French Popes versus the Roman Popes? In 1377, Pope Gregory XI reestablished the papacy in Rome, ending what has come to be known as the Babylonian captivity. After Gregory's death, the cardinals of Rome elected Pope Urban VI. Pope Urban VI was an outspoken and very much reform-minded pope, and he was looking to change the church's secular ways. Spooked by the potential loss of wealth and power, 13 of the cardinals, 12 of them French, went rogue and elected the cousin of the French king, Clement VII, as the new pope. Scandal rocked the Christian church. How can there be two popes, John? I don't know, Sally. The division of the church soon included political divisions based on which pope a country supported. Nations began to support their true pope. France and their allies, Scotland, Aragon, Castile, and Portugal, all supported Clement, while the Italian city-states and the Holy Roman Empire supported Urban. At the end of the fourth round, what does the scorecard look like now, Reginald? I gotta say, there's too much confusion. I got a pope here, a pope there, there's popes everywhere. But the popes against popes, nobody wins. I got zero for the pope and zero for the other pope. And here we have round five, our last round of the night. We have the conciliarists versus the popes. Because neither pope would be willing to concede their position or give their support for the other, a group made up of cardinals that supported both popes convened in Pisa in 1409. This group supported a conciliar theory. With this theory, conciliarists defined the church as the whole body of the faithful and that the elected pope was simply part of that body. The purpose of this movement was to maintain the unity and the well-being of the church. 
It doesn't seem that the popes are concerned about the church well-being, John. At the Council of Pisa, both popes were disposed and a new pope, Alexander V, was elected. Needless to say, Pope Urban and Clement refused to accept the election. The church now had three popes. Three popes? What are they, crazy? They could be. To end this deplorable situation, Emperor Sigismund asked Pope John XXIII to call the Council of Constance in 1414. With the Declaration Sacrosancta, the council disposed or accepted the resignation of all three popes and elected a new pope, Pope Martin V. The conciliar movement had saved the church. The conciliar movement reached its height at the Council of Basel in 1431. However, a council that made critical decisions for the church greatly angered the pope. The popes did win back prestige in 1438 by renegotiating a short-lived reunion with the Eastern Orthodox Church. And by 1460, Pope Pius II issued the papal bull Excrabilis that condemned the Pope's need to appeal to councils as null and void. As a result of increased poor papal leadership, secular control of national or territorial churches increased. Kings asserted their power over churches in France and England, and magistrates in Germany, the Italian and Swiss city-states, reformed and regulated religious life. The papacy's loss of power meant that the Pope could easily be opposed on the grounds of national policy. That brings an end to our match. The fifth round is done. What do we have now for the final scorecard? Jerry. Well, I got the Popes at one, and I have the Conciliarists at zero. The Conciliarists started their round really strong. They came out swinging. But unfortunately, the popes made them null and void. But I'm going to have to give this round and all the rounds to the secular kings. They're rising up in power, and the power of the pope is slowly going away. To conclude this boxing match of history, the church of the late 12th and early 13th century had hit its height with religious power. However, this religious power quickly became increasingly secular as pope after pope turned towards political and materialistic goals. The heightened power of the church came into direct conflict with nations who were also growing in power. Nations such as England and France increasingly and directly challenged the authority of the pope. These challenges left the popes and their power battered and beaten, sometimes literally. The decreasing power of the popes, together with the increase in French royal authority, led to the papacy being coerced and led to Avignon, France. Here, under the Babylonian captivity, popes became puppet spokesmen for the French kings and increasingly ruined the name of the church with their wealthy and materialistic lifestyles. Even when the papacy returned to Rome, scandal ensued. Elections of popes were challenged, leading to two and then three popes at once. It was only the conciliar movement that restored order to the church despite the anger of future popes. By 1460, the popes had restored their control over the church, but the damage was done. Whether city-states or kings of nations, these secular officials found it easier to oppose the once almighty pope on the grounds of national policy. That concludes our epic battle of history. On behalf of Gino Bellino, I'm Mr. Belanti. Thank you for joining us.